I've tried it. I've tried it too. Did you like it? Boy, did we! You're listening to Inside the Spud Goodman Radio Show. Let's get ready, Trumbo! And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, Andarola. Yes, I am Spud Goodman. <laughs> the Spud Man. <sighs> I'm laughing all the way to the bank. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of our keen little podcast, Inside the Spud Goodman Radio Show, where we will perform a full autopsy on episode number 100, the Buy My Kids Stuff episode, first aired on 121.16. It featured comedian host Howie Mandel, fitness trainer Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser Show, uh, musician and guitar extra- guitarist extraordinaire Joe Satriani, and also live musical guest Wes Spate and the Apollo Proxy. Uh, this was a good one, but of course, there were points where, you know, we could have maybe made some different decisions and been a, a bit wittier and, yes, maybe less boring. But all in all, I'm not ashamed of this episode at all. Uh, before we get started, let me introduce our designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Uh, show us. Uh, just show your our listeners like your world class laughing skills. Yeah, I mean oh. it's impressive. Okay, Spud. <laughs> oh, well, I could take it up a notch if you want, but we're just getting going here, so uh, hopefully I mean, that will do. Yeah, it was okay. Um, uh. Not your best. But, you know, it'll do. Now I have to acknowledge my temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. As I know, you have whined to our executive producer about not being given an adequate platform to express yourself. So, hey, go ahead. Say something that is not total drivel. Drivel? Yeah, drivel. First, I would never speak drivel on this podcast at my other place of employment, South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. Nor at home as the head of my family. As uh, I Excuse me, the, the head of your family, really? Well... I mean, I, I like to think that I'm at least the ceremonial head of my family as well. Yes, my wife, Rachel, is the de facto head as she makes the major financial, parental and family fun or, or recreational decisions. But I am included in her decision making process. Mm-hmm. Anyway, w- with this opportunity to express myself, I would like to say that I am. Uh, can excited- you can you give me a rough idea how long this will take? You know, to fully express yourself. I mean, we don't. We really don't well, have the time right now for you to do a filibuster. Uh, just keep I'm your not- keynote speech until you know the end of the program. Okay. What are you objectifying on? The end of the program. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Very well. All right. Okay, good. good. Now I must introduce our show's intern, Chance, a young man who seems to feel he is like the voice of his generation, like a newer, less musical version of Kurt Cobain. Uh, Go ahead and say something that will inspire and entertain our listeners, or at least those in your demographic group, you know? I've never said that I was the voice of my generation. Some of the DMs I get have said that. I myself would rather not assume that position, so it would be way too much work. 
Inspiring people isn't easy. If it was, then you, Spud, would have pulled it off after so many years on cable TV and the radio. I doubt you've ever inspired any living thing to this point in your career. I think that this is your way of telling me something. Oh, okay, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's possible It's that's accurate. I mean, but you know, no one has ever tagged me as a spokesperson for my generation. I mean, baby boomers are a lost cause. Let's be real, you know, with their MAGA hats, pickleball, and watching that Yellowstone, you know, TV show. Uh I don't relate well to my own people. I'm, yeah, I'm just going to be honest about it. It's, it's very disconcerting. Well, I don't care for that Yellowstone. Too much testosterone for me. But yeah, it is pretty popular with baby boomers. I appreciate you don't watch that show, Dorothy. Is They're always outdoors in the country, and I'm much more comfortable with shows that take place in urban settings. Uh, nice to know, City Mouse. Uh, so, so we're going to take a look back at the opening segment of this, uh, the By My Kids stuff episode. I think the title is self-explanatory, as it's a topic just about every person who works with others in an office or job site uh, can relate to. You know, the, the unrelenting pressure we all feel being hit up, you know, to, to buy, you know, the coworkers, uh, their kids fundraising stuff. Um we begin, uh, though, with an excellent example of someone who has very, very poor listening skills. Uh, and this is the beginning of the episode. And it's highlighted by my temporary co-host, Gerald, here, as, as he fails to really listen you know, to our then-designated laugher, Gina, express herself. Uh, and also with us in the studio then was, was our own Greek chorus, the highly talented folk singers in hell. Uh, Spud, it you know it's it's temporary, permanent co-host. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, just run the segment. Hello, Spud. It's good to be with you. Are you tonight. not going to say hello to to Gina here too? Yeah. Don't be rude. Oh, well, I already said hello to Gina before we went on the air. But if you insist, how are you doing tonight, Gina? Are Are you actually going to listen to my response? I mean, well, uh, I'm I'm actually somewhat stressed because our credit card is maxed out, and I really hey, don't. Need you really to- hate it when people ask how you're doing and. You know they could give a crap as they've already moved on to other topics in their mind. Yes. I mean, that has always bothered me. It's so rude. It's it's like they just want to hear the sound of their own voice and not actually listen to what is going on in my So, so Gerald, so next time you ask Gina how she's doing, uh-huh. show some respect and take the time to listen to her response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it in. Let it resonate. Do you know what resonate means? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do, Spud. Believe me, I will make sure everything I hear tonight resonates with me, okay? All right, good to know. Good. And listen, I don't know if this is the right time to bring this up, being live on the air, but I was thinking maybe some of our listeners might want to jump in on this, too. So, you know, it's that time of year again. Hmm. For what? To check the smoke alarms in our homes? I just did that, like, last year, I think. Is it no. time to change the oil? I mean, it's every nine months, right? Or is it... 20,000 miles. Uh, our, our car has hit like 215,000 miles on I it. I mean, uh, we really need to okay, get a new nice one. To know. But that's nice to know. Okay. Well, no, it, it's that time of year when students at my kids' school have their annual fundraiser. And of course, Trisha will be selling magazine subscriptions, and our youngest, Tyler, is going to be selling cookie dough. Super. So, who would like to be the first to place an order here? Gerald, the kids. Cookie dough magazine subscription deal will only make you feel 
like a total heel, as your co-workers will want to kick you in the nuts with great zeal. You're going to do this again this year. I thought I saw some memo well, at a staff meeting that no one could try this scam on coworkers anymore. I'm pretty sure there was some Supreme Court decision to outlaw this. No, 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 no. There's there's no prohibition on this. I already got our executive producer to place a big order of cookie dough and a subscription to Boys Life. Uh, look, I'm not interested. This is the kind of well, thing that caused me to wait to have uh, kids for so many years. What kind of person... Really tries to pressure his coworkers to buy his kids stuff. Well, there's That's no disgusting. There's no pressure. I'm not. I'm not applying pressure. I would never try to take advantage of my friends at work. That's ridiculous. Look, if you're not interested, then fine. It's no problem. I'm not interested. Yeah, like I said, no, thank you. Okay, well, before you two and everyone else in the studio makes a rash decision, don't you even want to look at the catalog with all the choices they're offering? The prices, they're really competitive. No, no means no. Okay, well, right uh -huh. now I need to play some music. Uh, this song is. You know, listening to this again, it seems like you got your own kid's name wrong. His name is Dwight, and you called him Tyler. Or were you suffering like from a concussion or something back at that time? I, I didn't pick up on it, you know, the screw up back then, but I'm now I'm curious. Oh, hey, I read in an AARP article that forgetting the names of one's children is the first sign of dementia. I'm just saying. My uncle always forgets my name at family gatherings, but he doesn't have dementia. He's just an alcoholic. It, it, guys, no, no, no. Listen, Dwight's middle name is Tyler, and we often call him by that around the house. It, we got the middle name from the big hit song, Tippy Canoe and Tyler 2. It, it's a really snappy tune. Tippy Canoe and Tyler 2? Was that a song in like the, that BC time period or something like way back? Uh, I've never heard of it. <laughs> you're, you're kidding me, right? Uh, Tippy Canoe and Tyler 2 was a popular and influential campaign song of the Whig Party's colorful log cabin campaign in the 1840 United States presidential election. Oh, who has heard the great commotion, motion, motion all the country through? It is the ball a rolling on for Tippecanoe and Tyler too. For Tippecanoe and Tyler too. And with them will beat little Van. Van, Van is a used up man. And with them will beat little Van. Now, does that refresh your memory, Spud? Uh, I'm not up on the Whig Party songs or anything. Uh, getting back to the topic of this episode, I think it brings out something that does annoy the hell out of so many people who work with others, you know, who have kids and these sales, sales drives come up during the school year. Oh, I don't even want to add up how much money I spent during my career buying things that I had no interest in or use for. I was always able to sell a crap load of different things when I was in school. My mom was pretty aggressive with her friends and co-workers. I'm not gonna lie. I enjoyed being at the top of the list for selling stuff. Now here's the deal. You know, people must have talked a lot about your mom behind her back, you know, after they had to write her a check so often. Um, all this to make you some kind of uber salesperson in your class? Uh, that was wrong. Okay, now we need to air my interview with comedian and TV host Howie Mandel. Uh, this was the first time Howie was on our show. And, and you know, I, I had 
I had to bring up something with Howie that back then I wasn't really aware that I too suffered from a bit, and that's OCD. Uh, I guess I was in denial at that time. Uh, I did learn a bit about it in our conversation, and um, you know, it, maybe it opened up my mind to the possibility that I too may have it later. You know, later after, well after this, uh, I think it took a year or two uh, before I finally accepted it. You know? Well, Spud, your parents and I were totally aware that you uh, had OCD tendencies from birth. We chose to keep it to ourselves, though, as it was hoped that you would just grow out of it. Yeah, I guess it never happened, huh? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Run, run my interview with Howie Mandel now, Dave, please. All right, please welcome our first guest, Howie Mandel, to the show. Thanks for calling in, man. Wow, that, that, that's a, what an honor. I am the first guest ever on this show. Uh, well, you got me on that one. All right, no, you're not. All right, super. Well, Howie, you're a Canadian citizen, so here's my question. Uh, what the hell type of performance-enhancing substances do you Canadians indulge in to give you guys what I feel is an unfair comedy advantage? It's really not fair and presents an uneven playing field for all American comedians. I mentioned this to Tom Green, too. I don't know what it is. There seems to be a, a lot of people coming out of Canada that, that do well in comedy, and I would yeah. imagine it's colder. It's colder, and it keeps us fresh. I have no idea what it is. I, I just think I don't know. I think that's just a, uh, an aberration. Uh, uh, truth be told, there's uh, many more American comics that are coming out of like the Northeast and New York and Philly, and you know, and you know, and that's just a small part of our nation and I think most people come out of there in the comedy world and as far as writers, directors and comedians but I'm proud to have uh, been one of many people that have come out of Canada and uh, made a living. Yeah, well I think you've done okay. Um, I just just throw out a few though. You got the SCTV crew you got you know Phil Hartman, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, Seth Rogen and of course Lauren Michaels and a bunch of other people but I just wanted to, you get the point and all my listeners get the point but anyway, alright moving on. I gotta ask you this question. I feel some of your best work on camera is when you take it to the streets and interact with people. Some might say mess with them. Has anybody ever got perturbed and tried kicking you in the nuts or anything afterwards? Yes, many. And that was my whole life. And that was before I was in comedy. You know, I, I actually found that, uh, you know, the first time I was aware of comedy was watching Candid Camera. So, yes, and that's my favorite kind of comedy is that awkward, uncomfortable, real rather than jokes, you know, when people are really reacting to something. So, yes, I've, uh, I've been chased, I've been hit, I've been kicked, I've been yelled at, I've been banished, uh, and, and this is just in the last two weeks. Wow, I can relate to that. You know, I, I also uh, have had somewhat some issues with this, but I always wear a cup when I go out in public, as well as it's a no harm, no foul kind of thing. But anyway, um, so... Let me ask you this. You have shared with your fans the challenges of, of dealing with your OCD tendencies. I myself don't actually have it myself, but when I hear someone else discuss their habits, I tend to, I tend to subconsciously start doing them myself for a day or two. So when I heard you, you know, putting down the towels on the floor at the hotel so you wouldn't have to step on their bacteria-covered floors, I, I started do I doing it. I actually talk about that on the, I talk about that on the Just for Laughs. Yes. I, I, I do a, a bit about it and talk about it. Yes. I, it, I mean, I'm able to laugh at it. You know, I do... No, I was going to say yes. It's It was amazing because I started doing it myself, but it was at motels, of course, in my case, and had to do it with one towel to give you. But you actually, this this is something you have to build into your schedule maybe, don't you? 
Well, you know, it's just uh, from as long as I can remember, I've had issues. You know, I'm I'm well taken care of right now as far as you know therapy and medication, but mm-hmm. I still have these. Uh, rituals and habits and things that I do, some of which turn out to be good ideas for other people that don't have the issues that I have. But uh, if I can help in any way, I'm more than happy to. Well, has it has it been a help with your comedy? I would think because it would open up areas of humor that others would just over. No, you know, my issues, my mental health issues are not a gift. And if they are a gift, I would love to re-gift or return them. And, and uh, I don't know if it's helped. It's, it's who I am, and I talk about them, and, you know, ultimately relate uh, then they seem to respond yeah, yeah. but uh you know i i don't really make it part of my comedy as much as it's just part of who i am all right super um spud hey uh howie just give me one second you know, you may not have clinically diagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder, but you do display some clearly dysfunctional behavior. Well, like what? I have a handle on most of my inner demons. Well, some of what you display could be described as, well, if not abnormal behavior, it would be termed as strange. Yeah, yeah I know I'm a bit quirky sometimes in how I interact with other human beings, but I'm not that weird. Well, I don't know if most people would say sacrificing a live slug to commemorate the start of daylight savings time is right. Rational behavior. It's, it's that time of year when people start to mow their lawns, the days are longer, there's more hope in the air. It's something I started doing when I was a little kid, and I don't actually kill the slug, I just do a little ceremony and let him go. Hello? How would you describe your habit of announcing the starting lineup of the Seattle Sonics from Game 5 when they won the NBA championship in 1979 before you go on the air each show? I don't understand that kind well, of behavior. Well, listen, that remains one of the most important moments in my life. By saying that starting lineup out loud to myself. It gives me inner peace and allows me to excel in my role as host of this show. Hey, I need to get back to Howie now, so Thank just you. keep it down. Let me finish the damn interview. Uh, all right, all right. Well, you're going to be coming back this year to America's Got Talent. Um, w- with Howard leaving and Simon Cowell uh, replacing him, you realize there are now no American judges. So you're going to have to step up and play the role. You know, I mean, Canadians are at least a quarter American, so I guess that'll have to work. Yeah, but we... You know, first of all, I am an American citizen, oh, okay. and even though all I right. wasn't born here. And, uh, and Heidi right. has got her citizenship, and I think that Mel B. also does have her citizenship. I did not know so that. I, yeah, I think so. I, at least two of us are citizens, and so is Nick. So uh, we're well taken care of. And, and the fact that you're not American gives you a better view. It's always easier to view and judge from the outside than being on the inside. Oh, well, are you going to miss Howard at all? Just curious. I miss him every day. I yeah. do. I just texted him two days ago. I've been friends with him for 30 years. I think he's brilliant. I love the guy. I loved working with the guy. I love what he did for the show. But I'm also excited about the next decade and uh, working with the boss. All right. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, what gig is easier, being a game show host or serving as a backup quarterback in the NFL? I'm thinking, you know, backing up a QB1 is is because a game show host, you have to smile all the time, pretend like you're having a great time, right? Yeah, but there's nobody going to hit you, you know, as a host. So I think hosting is probably a lot easier. All right, super. Well, uh, here's my last question. Um, if you could hang out for like one day with one deceased comedian, who, you know, who's left us, who would it be at this point? I'm, I'm just wanting to know. 
Well, to be honest with you, I would not like to hang for an hour with a deceased comedian because it would be quiet and there's no one to talk to and just the smell of rotting flesh, it makes it hard to eat. So I will, I, you know, if I had my choice, it would be a living comedian. I would not hang with any deceased comedians. Uh, but thanks for the question. Yeah, well, I'd probably go with Bob Saget. I don't know if he's dead or not, but, you know, I, he, I just, I dig the guy. But anyway, all right. Howie, I want to thank you so much uh, for calling in. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Mr. Howie Mandel. Spud, you really need to go over your questions before you interview celebrities. Howie had a good point. Who would want to attempt a conversation with a deceased comedian, regardless of how funny they were while here on Earth? Yeah, he he, he got me on a technicality with that question. I, uh, I should have, like, worded it differently, I guess. I've always wondered how you've gotten away with asking really famous celebrities, like, really dumb questions over the years oh <laughs> it's just not celebrities that he does that with his teachers would always tell us and his parents uh that he asked very inappropriate questions in class am i right spud yeah i mean i guess i've always had a knack for hitting up someone with a question that you know maybe should have been structured differently i guess that's a nice way to put it but on the other side of this thing, though, it kind of got me into the talk show biz as some people like hearing famous people have to answer stupid questions. Uh, you know, now, now there are not that many listeners, you know, who really maybe dig it, but it's kept my career going so far. Uh, yeah. So right now we're going to play my interview with our musical guest on this episode, Wes Spate and the Apollo Proxy, and their live performance in the studio. Uh, Dave hit it. All right, musical guest interview time. Uh, welcome back to the show, Wes Spate, who uh, performed as a solo artist uh, on his first appearance here, and this time he's brought a full band. So everyone step up to the mic and identify yourself and the instrument you will be playing tonight. Hi, I'm Wes Spate. I will be playing guitar and keys. I'm Eric Sepulveda, and I'll be playing lead guitar. Jonathan Murphy, and I'm playing bass. All right, super. So I have to ask, uh, U.S., what prompted you to now return to working with a full band? Previously, you were kind of doing everything in the studio. Uh, I like this new sound, though, the big, big, you know, supporting cast. It sounds great. Cool, thank you. Yeah, just it gets a little lonely out there being solo. That's the main Lon reason. I mean, it's, it's, it's significantly more fun to share music with other people. And, um, you know, these we've started to develop relationships and we're we're having fun so that's the main thing well how tough is it these days for a great indie band with no label support to to break through and be recognized is it getting better or is it even worse i'm just curious i don't know i think it's perspective i think um i'm trying to look at it from a more positive standpoint these days instead of um you know just you know because everyone's always saying you know the music industry is dead and that kind of thing and um sure that could be true but i think it's it's more of you know paving your own path i think that's how it's always been it's always been tough you know i don't think it was ever easy for anyone um and so i think it's more about just finding your own your own way all right hey does anyone in the band uh have a position on colonizing uh space because stephen hawking recently stated we should kind of be getting on this thing like as soon as possible you never know when the earth's gonna be destroyed by a meteor or something you guys have any opinion on that I think we should. Why not? It's time. 
So that's a unanimous thumbs up? Yeah, if it wasn't for Columbus, we wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> All right, well stated. Okay, what's the name of the first song? Suffer. All right, let's do it. is a very talented musician. Yes, he is. So, you know, he, he also has some new stuff uh, out now for anybody that, you know, would like to check him out online. So maybe you guys want to do that. 
So now we're going to play a, a segment with our resident psychic, Mr. Ted Marr. He answers my questions about aliens from distance, distant galaxies that are supposedly all around us right now as I speak. Uh, yeah, let's hear what he had to say. Dave? All right, please give a warm welcome to a real-life psychic, Mr. Ted Marr. How are you doing tonight, Ted? Wonderful, wonderful, Spud. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be on and talk to your wonderful listeners. Right. Well, in the past, you've discussed the fact that we're surrounded by aliens from distant galaxies. I think you said some are reptilians. So my question for you is, do you think, you know, someday they will take over the world and force us to be slaves like Apple does with their uh, workers in China who make, you know, their phones? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, briefly, there's two main groups of aliens who visit us in this third dimension. Some are good and some are bad. Some are neutral, actually, as well. But the, the, main, the main good group is called the Galactic Alliance. Uh, they're just, many of them are just like us. They're mostly human, all benevolent. Uh, they're between 50 to 100,000 years ahead of us technologically wow. and 30 to 50,000 years ahead of us spiritually. Uh, the bad boys of the universe are called the reptilians. And um, yeah. they're... They're not as, uh, they, they don't have any spiritual advancement. They are several thousand years ahead of us technologically. And um, they've actually been on this planet for, well, at least, uh, well, at least since 1954 when Eisenhower signed an agreement with them that in exchange for their technology that they, that they would help us uh, uh, fight the Soviet Union back in the Cold War. And in exchange for that, they would be allowed to abduct us and, and study us. Uh, since that time, uh, they're, 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 I don't know, they've caused a lot of trouble. They feed off negativity, but they feed off wars and conflict, whereas the Galactic Alliance feeds off love, understanding, and harmony. Wow, harmony. That's an interesting concept. Well, do you think someday we'll be making, like, Nike shoes or some kind of cheap plastic crap for a distant planet? Because I, I'm scared to death of heights, so no matter how bad it gets, I could not jump out of a window if I couldn't take it anymore. I hope this never happens. <laughs> You know, I would not feel comfortable working in a manufacturing plant. I held that type of job in my early 20s, and I have no desire to return to that station in life, Spud. It's really hard work. Well, I hear you, and that's why I'm asking Ted if there's any chance at all that this could happen. And if so, then you know I'm going to be applying for disability. No way my back could stand up to like eight hours a day on some conveyor line or whatever. Well, Spud, you're in pretty good shape physically. I doubt if you could claim to be disabled to get out of slave labor should it happen. It's not like aliens will have a social safety net and a human resource unit to deal with these kinds of issues. You don't know that for sure. They could be progressive aliens. Anyway, I know a chiropractor that would sign a letter saying my back prevents me from doing any physical labor. Uh, so, hey, let me get back to Ted and hear what he has to say on this. Okay. Well, actually, uh, as a result of this agreement that President Eisenhower signed in 1954 with these reptilians, um, there, there is a breakaway uh, human civilization uh, on Mars that was built with um, alien technology, reptilian technology. And I've been told by Corey Good, who was on my radio show a few months ago, that there are 7 million humans living on Mars in slave labor camps um, making plastic, uh, among other things, high-tech high -tech things and probably some plastic Nike shoes as well. Dang, I knew there was some somebody living on Mars. All right, super. Well, we can get into this, I guess, uh, further at a, at a later date. All right, there you have it, Mr. Ted Marr and his Out of This World segment. Thank you, Spud. 
since Ted said that, you know, there were people on Mars doing really boring manufacturing jobs, you know, putting out more crappy stuff for others to buy on other planets. It made sense to me that, you know, as there's so much garbage, you know, on Earth right now that it had to be coming from or has to be coming from still, you know, from not just the places where, you know, they pay their employees 25 cents an hour. It's There's a very strong possibility. It, it also could be coming from other planets, too. We're coming for you, globalist. Uh, you know what? That's just another reason to put Donald J. Trump back in the White House so we can make America great again. As Get he real. would tell those reptilians on other planets, thanks, but no thanks, as we can make our own stuff here on Earth. No one makes a better plastic fork or styrofoam plate than us. Uh, I know Trump and his daughter Ivanka, you know, have always had, you know, their Trump products made overseas. So it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, he has a piece of the action with the slave labor market on Mars. And uh, you know, Ivanka never wore her own line of shoddy merchandise herself in her private life. That junk was worthless. No wonder she shut down the business after being shamed. I think a girl yeah, I, I went to did. high school with bought one of Ivanka's designer jackets. Huh. It was made in Vietnam, I think. She told me it changed colors when she was out in the rain. I guess she later gave it to a Goodwill. Uh, nice to know, Chance. Uh, you know, I bet Trump, you know, was always on his friends and employees to buy Ivanka, you know, stuff growing up. Uh, you know, their father-daughter relationship this creeps me out. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. So now, so now we're going to return to the in-studio discussion, you know, we had about being harassed at work to buy coworkers' kids' fundraising products. Yeah. You know, you were relentless, Gerald. Yeah, well, it was for the kids, Spud. Uh, Dave, run the segment. Say, uh, Spud, I really think you're going to kick yourself if you don't at least take a quick look at the catalogs I have here. You know, the cookie dough this year is organic, ah, and there are even gluten-free options if you want. Yeah. And uh, Gina, I'm sure you would love to receive Glamour magazine each month. Am I right? And if you <laughs> order that along with two other magazines, it's only $19.95 for one full year. Gerald, why would I want to subscribe to Glamour magazine? I just had a baby, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, uh -oh. some of us don't enjoy looking at really attractive people in magazines. Why would we want to... Yeah. Make ourselves feel inferior staring at supermodels. <laughs> so so you would not be interested in GQ magazine, Spud? No. It is also no. available. Okay, no. well, how about Soldier of Fortune? That's a very popular item with the average guy. Don't ever call me average. That's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, maybe if we're discussing my math or cooking skills, that, that would be, be acceptable. But it, <laughs> I didn't mean. No way I'm into the, uh, the GQ demo. I would never fit in, the, in that group. There's no way. Do I have to take off the baseball hat to, to verify that? I mean, no one in that magazine even uh, has a receding hairline, let alone male pattern baldness. Yeah, yeah, you know, say, I just received a text from my wife, Rachel. It is rather terse, but suffice to say, she feels it is very offensive that you and Gina are so unsupportive of our public school system. Shut up. And the fundraising activities needed to keep things operating I smoothly. I thought your kids went to private school, the kind that don't teach evolution and that kind of stuff. 
Well, yeah, they, they don't attend a public school themselves, but fundraising activities are often the only lifeline for a student in our inferior, often crumbling urban school systems. Our, our urban school systems? I bet your kids' suburban school systems have, or your school, whatever they attend, I don't even I don't even know the name of it, but I bet they got like well, warm towels in the PE locker room and, and probably Wi-Fi in the cafeteria. Uh, I'd have to ask my wife about that. But the point is, fundraising for students is the first lesson for them of the free market. You know, what better initial learning tool is there on capitalism? Well, what is the question? Only the successful students are recognized as achievers. And those that can't sell, well, it's best they be identified early in life so they can maybe explore their options in a a vocational school setting, for example. When I was in school, I couldn't sell anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was horrible. And I turned out just fine. I mean, look, I'm on the radio. Gino, we will try to be kind, but to do so puts us in somewhat of a bind. As being a designated laugher is not exactly a great use of your mind. Yeah, yeah. As that bell curve book said so well, our futures are pretty well baked in early on, Gina. Uh, I I think you would agree that that was a pretty accurate indicator of your situation later in life, correct? I I mean, you're a designated laugher on a lower-level radio show. Uh, You must have known back then what your ceiling was going to be, and that must have removed any pressure and uncertainty of your future career arc. Hey, 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 no need to demean those who can't sell junk, all right? That's not cool. Why don't you find out if our next guest is ready to go. I think you unfairly shamed our then-designated Laugh Regina for not being a successful salesperson, Mr. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. It was uncalled for. Well, I did nothing of the sort. I just laid out how important it is to be able to be successful in sales. It is the linchpin of capitalism, Spud. There's nothing more patriotic to do than sell something to someone. Well, I can think of many more important things to do to honor our country than to push needless material items on innocent victims. Mrs. Jarvitz, I choose not to consider those items I sell to as to uh, items as to victims. That is just offensive. I that's uh, frankly offensive. I was referring to needless merchandise that people really don't need. Being pressured into buying things that are not necessary. I know you feel I often buy things that are not totally necessary, Dorothy, but someday all of those Star Wars trading cards could be worth a lot of money. I mean, they're highly sought-after collectibles. Um, I think I saw some Star Wars trading cards at a garage sale last summer. Uh, They went for like a dime a piece, I think. Well, maybe nowadays, but 50 years from now, they're going to be really valuable. I don't think so. Uh, if you say so. Yeah, right. Okay, now we're going to play my interview with superstar musician Joe Satriani. Uh, this guy can really play the guitar. Uh, he sold around 10 million, 10 million albums over the years, at least to this point, I guess. And I have to say, after the interview, I came away impressed as he's also a hell of a nice guy. Dave, run the segment. All right, please welcome to the show musician and guitar god Joe Satriani. How you doing tonight, Joe? Great. So you're going to be heading out on the road again with a Shockwave tour and stopping in Seattle on February 25th with a show at the Paramount Theater. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, super. Um, 
Joe, when you head out on the road, do you have a bag already packed with the same thing, socks, underwear, guitar picks, or do you wait till the last second and just toss whatever is handy in a bag and go? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of that last-minute stuff when it comes to the clothing. We're not really big on costumes, you know. Um, I generally like to dress simple and then wear a guitar that looks outrageous, and that's kind of like the way I go. So that means it's T-shirts and jeans, you know. Uh, so it, it's pretty easy for me to, to pack up in about 15 minutes. All right, super. Uh, hey, do you have a, like a lifetime uh, supply of uh, guitar picks? Are you comped like for life? <laughs> I don't think that there's in the music business there's a there's any kind of a for life kind of clause. You know what I mean? It's pretty much you're hustling from the day you get your toe in the door, you know, um, to the day you leave. Let, you started way back as a musician teaching other aspiring guitar players, and you had a few that didn't suck, such as like Steve Vai and Kirk Hammett, among others. But but here's my question. Did you ever work with regular players who could barely pull off Louie Louie, or did you only work with world-class players, world-class talent? Ah, uh, you know, um, I taught for a good, um, let's say about two, three, three years when I was just a high school kid uh, growing up in New York. And then when I moved out to Berkeley, California, um, I wound up teaching more like a young adult while I was in a band playing clubs all the time. And it was during that 10-year period where I was teaching um, uh, Kirk Hammett and his contemporaries uh, that, that were all over the map stylistically, like jazz guitarist Charlie Hunter uh, or Larry Lalonde from Primus, uh, Kevin Cadigan from Third Eye Blind. I mean, they were just kind of spread out, all of them great players. But I was teaching maybe, uh, boy, 40 to 60 hours a week. And so that meant that there were like 10 like superstars. And the rest were eight-year-old kids or doctors, lawyers, race car drivers who just wanted to learn how to play, as you said, Louie Louie, so they could get some, you know, have some fun on the weekend. So most of the people I taught were actually amateurs who, who had other professions. Wow. All right. If I may cut in here, Spud. Really? Hey, uh, Joe, uh, excuse me for uh, just one moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I know how much you enjoy jamming on the guitar. Yeah. You know, playing Louie Louie and the opening bit from that song by, uh, I think you said, The White Stripes. Yeah, I'm pretty good with the first 10 seconds of One Nation Army, and I can get maybe 30 seconds into Louie Louie, but to be honest, it's really hard to get serious musicians to ever jam with me on those two songs. I mean, as you've heard, you know, here in the studio, I've gotten a few bands to sort of jam with me before the show when they let me use one of their guitars, but I know I have to get to the point where I can play more than 15 seconds of a song, as they always look at me with, like, major pity afterwards. Well, it's too bad you never got the opportunity to be instructed by Joe Satriani. I know. <laughs> Wow. Um, Who knows where you'd be now? Maybe you could play a full song. M maybe two or three. And then you could do some live shows yourself. Yeah, but what club uh, would book a guy doing a, like a nine or ten minute performance? I might be able to play on a street corner, though. Like a, a busker, I think they, they call them, right? Um, but how much money can you you know make only knowing two or three songs? I'd have to have someone make people move along after the third one so they wouldn't hear me playing the same thing over again. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. I would be willing to serve as your roadie and make sure people kept moving on the side walk you know people don't need to know you can only play two or three songs no I, I just i just don't think it's worth the hassle to learn how to really play the guitar but you could be a musical guest one night here all you would need are those three songs for it to work on this show yeah but 
The talk show host Spud Goodman is smart enough to not book the musician Spud Goodman. Uh, Let me get back to Joe. I have a few other questions to ask him, okay? Sure. All right, Joe, I'm back. Uh, sorry about that. Okay. All right. Well, you've released 15 albums and have been nominated for 15 Grammys over the years. That's not too shabby of a record, so I guess, I guess the career kind of worked out. Yes, I've been very lucky. I, I often think that never winning has been my secret to longevity, so I'm, I'm hoping I can keep that losing streak going. Well, it, it did, it's done wonders for Susan Lucci's career. It did wonders for, you know. But, <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's funny. I'm not the most losingest. There are two other folks who, who have been nominated more times and never won than me. And so uh, I'm, I'm not even at the head of that line. So um, I, I've just kind of forgotten about it. You know, uh, it's funny. But you know that if I ever win, I'll be walking around with that thing. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in your solo career, you've chosen to record instrumentally without vocals. Have you ever picked up any bad vibes from wannabe lead singers of rock bands? You know, you represent their worst nightmare, a successful touring musician that does not need a cute guy with great hair preening about the stage. Yeah. Um, you know, not that I you know about, you know, maybe behind my back, they, they think it's weird, but... Um it's you know just from a professional point of view getting on the radio was difficult and i understand that but i never got into it you know to succeed at uh some kind of uh, chart position uh, the idea was if i can find an audience that likes what i do then i'll just keep doing it and so that worked out really great and in that in that view uh the internet really helped because it allowed us to sort of step over the fact that we can never really get on TV with any regularity, and it's difficult to get on pop radio for sure. So uh, that means that our the Internet wound up being a wonderful place to go directly to the fan without having to be filtered out by, you know, modern rock, adult contemporary, adult country, all the other you know, parameters that keep me off the radio. Well, yeah, I mean, you have been really busy, actually, outside of your solo career, because, as you know, you, you toured with Mick Jagger, you, you were in Chicken Foot uh, with Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony, and Chad Smith, and you didn't, you also filled in for the upcoming Hall of Fame inductee Tur Deep Purple? Deep Purple on a 93 tour of Japan? Is that true? I actually toured with them for about six months. We did uh, a tour of Japan, um at the end of 93, and then uh, for two months we toured Europe in, in the summer of 94, um, at which point they, they had invited me to join the band, but I just was really thinking um, about some advice uh, my friend Steve I had given me, uh, which he said to me once, he goes, man, whatever you do, try not to replace somebody famous, because that had been his burden for so long. You know, he'd replaced Warren in, in Frank Zappa's band, and then he replaced Ingve, uh in Alcatraz, and then he replaced, uh, you know, basically Eddie Van Halen in David Lee Roth's solo band, and then he replaced uh, uh, whatever those guys were, the, the team um, uh, in Whitesnake. And I think by the time, right before he put out Passion and Warfare, he had just about had enough of always having sort of the shadow of the former famous guy, you know, looking over him. So um, I remember thinking, you know, I'm lucky to have a solo career where I can connect with my fans. Uh, I can play whatever kind of music I want. 
why would I want to live in the shadow of Richie Blackmore? And I'm a huge Blackmore fan, so it made it even harder for me to sort of mentally sort of put up with it every night, you know, because I just wanted to play exactly what he played because I was such a fan. But, you know, you don't want to do that for the rest of your life, right? Right, right, right. So I, I, I had to respectively decline and say, look, you, you know, you got to find somebody else who, you know, who wants to run with this. Uh, but I, I, I really did want to get back into my solo career and really make it work. All right. Well, in terms of creative influences on your music, I understand you're really into sci-fi. So were you like a Star Trek or Lost in Space guy growing up? Because I was a Lost in Space guy all the way, only because of Jonathan Harris's Dr. Smith. Never fear. Smith is here. But that was me. How about you? I'm a great science fiction nut. I'm actually in the, in the works uh, creating uh, a science fiction animated show that's based on my artwork, um, along with a friend of mine, Ned Evett, and uh, Brendan Small from Metalocalypse. And they we're coming really close to uh, finalizing our first uh, pilot. So I'm very excited about that, that I, get, I finally get to work on a project like that. Well, um, I just really want to thank you so much for checking in with us tonight. It's been a, really a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for all the crazy questions. I really love them. Thank you. All right, Mr. Joe Satriani. How cool would it be to be in Joe Satriani's shoes for just a few days? I mean... I mean, I would have one of those portable, like, battery-powered guitar amps in the trunk of my car along with a killer Stratocaster or something uh, and, and just stop at a McDonald's or, or at a gas station and knock out, like, a 15-minute guitar solo and move on to another location. It, it would also be very awesome, you know, to maybe drop by a family gathering and shred for, like, an hour or so and then just leave without saying goodbye. You know, just bam, I'd be gone. You know, sure, it might be considered rude, but everybody would be so blown away. No one would say a thing. Oh, I don't know about your Uncle Steve and his little friend Jerry. I bet they both would voice their opinion on your lack of manners. You know, that's why I took up playing the harmonica, so I could entertain at family gatherings. I'm still working on my skills, and maybe next summer I'll try to play something for everyone at our family reunion. I would do that if I were you, Gerald. Just because the audience would be family members, they can be way crueler than strangers. I wouldn't put myself through that if I had your musical skills. Yes, I, I am a work in progress right now, but I'm trying to get that bread song down, uh, Baby, I'ma Want You. I, I plan to dedicate wow. it to my wife at the reunion. I, I would expect my kids will be a bit embarrassed at my open love song to her, but she'll love it. You had me at hello. Well, I guess it's the thought that counts, not the musical skills. Yeah. Yeah, well, whatever. Uh, okay, moving on, let, let's play my interview with Uber fitness instructor Ms. Jillian Michaels and host of that old, you know, she was the host of that old NBC series, The Biggest Loser, you know, where people would lose like 100 pounds or so on the show. In, in this conversation back then, she was promoting a new show on the E! Channel. And, and like I told her in our conversation, uh, you know, she scares the hell out of me. But at the same time, I'm kind of enthralled by her to this day, even uh, especially when she yells at people. It, it turns my crank, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? My dad really liked The Biggest Loser. He said it made him feel good about himself as his doctor told him he had to lose like 30 pounds and watching others who had to lose a lot more gave him comfort. 
Okay, okay. Well, Dave, uh, run the, the interview with uh, Jillian, if you would, please. All right, please say hello to fitness guru Jillian Michaels, who is checking in with us tonight. Hey, Jillian, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? Not too bad. So you have a new show on the E! Channel, Just Jillian, airing on Tuesdays yeah. at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central. Yeah. All right. Now, just for the, <laughs> just for the record... There are no Kardashians, not even distant relatives of theirs or any trace of their DNA on this program, correct? Well, ironically, my daughter goes to school with, uh, with Mason, who is Courtney's son, um, and they're, but no, Mason, and they're very close friends, it's very, it's very odd, but no, no Kardashians on the show, it's a very different show, it's actually, it's actually a comedy, it's, it's uh, really about the comedy of errors that occur as we all go about our daily lives, right, the absurdity in the minutia of trying to be the best parent, the best friend, the best coworker, the best partner, and it's, yeah, it's very lighthearted and fun. Well, how many calories will I burn watching a full episode? <laughs> None. <laughs> it depends. How are you watching it? Are you watching it on your treadmill at the gym, or are you watching it from your couch with a bag of chips? Couch. So, all right, none, but that's okay. Right, no, I don't have, I don't have high hopes for you, my friend. With the name, I mean, the Spud, right? That's I that mean, is correct. That is correct. Yes. Well, it is how spud. did that happen, buddy? What happened there? Did your parents not love you? No, I, I just think it was, I, they just said I just resembled it, and I just went from that. I was like after birth. I was, and it's a long story. I won't bore you with it. But so anyway, I know we're conversing on the phone. So. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest with you here. i got to say this. Uh, I'm feeling somewhat safe because we're on the phone, but I've watched many seasons of The Biggest Loser on NBC, and you've really scared me at times. Actually, I've had a, a few nightmares starring you. I mean, they, some of them were very pleasant. Some of them were actually very, really, really pleasant. But so what I'm saying here is, has anybody ever mentioned to you that you have a very, very powerful personality? Right. Um, you know what's interesting about Biggest Loser is that, you know, all joking aside, when you think about what that show is, it's a life or death intervention that exists on a ticking clock. So in, in some cases, it, of course, requires intensity and ferocity and all this shenanigans to move these individuals through very specific benchmarks of realization to try to make sure when they leave that place, they stick with it, right? They've had a rock bottom moment. They've taken responsibility for where they're at. They've had achievements that have helped to redefine their self-image and so on. But in real life, you know, I have, I have that kind of intensity, but it's generally related to work. And you do see you do see some of that on the show for sure. Um, when I deal with some of our partners, our company's partners in business, and my work husband John Carlo, who's also my business partner of ten years, has to clean up the mess, so to speak. Um, but you'll see, you know, I'm, I'm a regular person just like everybody else, and you get to kind of see all the various sides of my personality, for better and for worse, which is which is fun. Well, um, I'm fun. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm buying it, I'm buying it. Hey, if I could cut in here, Spud, and just ask if... Uh, I'm... just just one second, Jillian. Yes, sir? No, you can't. I'm in the middle of a deep discussion with her right now, and it took a lot of courage for me to, to do this interview. Jeez, okay, okay. Sorry about that, Jillian. You know, my staff are very needy. <laughs> I'm sorry. But they need to know it's not okay to interrupt me in the middle of an interview. No. Um... All right, well, let's talk working out for a second. I usually go to the YMCA, you know, once or twice a week to lift some dumbbells, maybe jog a lap or two, and then hit the steam room. But that's better than 98% of most Americans, right? 
Yeah. Well, we're starting to see improvement in the numbers. I mean, we're, we're starting to see that people are trending more towards weight loss. We're seeing a big improvement in, uh, in our juvenile Oh my goodness! Sorry, it's early for me. A juvenile demographic, um, and that's and that's encouraging. At least at least the numbers aren't ticking up with regard to our obesity epidemic. Some in some places they're holding, and in other places they're trending down. Well, I mean, I'd like to. I, I'm just my goal is like two pack abs. No, you have like twelve pack abs. Have Have you ever <laughs> ever been a, like an ounce overweight in your life? I was an overweight kid, oh, which um, okay. I was overweight until I was about. 15. Uh, my mom, my mom, my mom's amazing, and she got me into martial arts um, when I was 13, and that's really what started to kind of turn me around. I was being bullied at school, and my mom got me into martial arts, and it's you very too. funny. We deal with something with my three-year-old uh, being bullied at school, and he, I get him into jujitsu, and <laughs> it causes some tension in, in, in the. Uh, in the home front. Um, but yeah, it was very beneficial for me getting into karate when I was a kid. Well, when you're at home with your significant other, Heidi, who was on the show, do you, do you ever kick back and just do nothing? Like lay on the couch, eat Ben and Jerry's like the rest of us? As, you mean, do you ever? Uh, do, okay, here would be my question. The quote, rest of, of, of the world that does that, I want to know if they have two small kids. Um, because I find that with my kids, there is no, there is no kicking back. Someone told me that, like, after they get past six, you can coast a little bit until they hit the teenage years. But, dude, there's no coasting. My, <laughs> my kids are, they're amazing, um, and they're hilarious, and they're fun, but they're very, very, very energetic. Very, <laughs> very energetic. There's no kicking back, ever. So you don't put them on the treadmill first thing at crack of dawn or anything for a couple hours, though, right? Oh, my God, you wouldn't need to. They bounce off the walls. All right. All they right, literally super. bounce off the walls. I, I swear to God, at the end of every day when my son is still alive, I'm so proud of us. I mean, like, you'll turn around and you'll find them on top of the roof. Mama, look at me. It's like, oh, my God. They're crazy. They're, you know, kids are nuts. Yes, And yes. mine are, like, extremely energetic. Well, you also have 15 pets at home. Do you like to get up at, like, dawn to feed all those? That's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a whole nother, yeah. You, you get sort of, you get to see the origin of this story in the first episode of the show. But basically, I was quite happy. I had a city house in the hills. I had a very, very clean, organized life. And it starts out with an idea. It's this little nugget that Heidi plants, and then she just systematically wears me down. And now I live on a seven-acre farm in the middle of nowhere. And huh. it takes me two hours to get into the city. I've got a wild boar that sleeps on the floor of my bedroom, three dogs, 14 koi fish, six horses, six chickens, four beehives. I've got a betta fish, two goldfish, a parrot. It's, it, you can't even, I, there are no words. There are no words. You, can, you, can, you just have to see it. It's insane. I think you could build an ark. Uh, you might have to build an ark. You've got about everything covered. I so. know, man. All right. Well, let, I me, know. let me conclude this interview with my signature cliche question that I'm required to ask all my guests. Uh, Jillian, what's yeah. been your most memorable moment, in your case, as the most famous fitness trainer on earth? Honestly, it would be the same. I think it's the same moment that, that most people would reference. And I, I can't stand the cliche parent thing, but, but certain things you can't escape. And it would, it would probably be when I first met my daughter and when my son was born. You know, you can't, you know... That is just a miracle. So that, um, and then, and then beyond it, there have been so many. There really have. I've been very fortunate in life to have so many great friends and so many wonderful people and so many incredible moments. But um, I took a trip to India a few years back that had many really 
life-changing moments that I, I wouldn't trade for the world. All righty. Well, thank you so much for calling in and give us a, giving us a scoop on uh, what's going on with you. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You know, you're not really that scary, actually. There you have it, Miss Jillian Michaels. I kind of lied there to Jillian. I mean, she is still very scary to me, but, you know, I actually prefer it that way. So, yeah. You know, I didn't find Jillian scary from your conversation with her. She seemed very pleasant. Well, she was very cool, very cool. But like I said, I prefer a bit of edge with my celebrity romantic crushes, and she has that. That's there's no doubt. Uh, I you know I know she would never go out with me for for real, uh, and that's for a variety of deal killer reasons. Uh, some of them are obvious, but that's the thing with TV and movie star crushes. They can never actually happen. You know, like consummating the relationship. So, so there's no downside to it. I mean, I have slept with so many well-known and some not so well-known actresses and TV personalities and a bunch of cable news hosts too over the years in my dreams at night, you know, or during the day, if I take a nap, uh, I really look forward to going to sleep. Seek immediate medical help for an erection lasting more than four hours. Uh, but I don't feel talking about those bodily Fluid dreams is an appropriate topic to discuss on this show. Oh, don't be such a prude, Gerald. I bet you've had wet dreams, too. You're just ashamed to admit it. I most certainly don't chance to dream about having sexual intercourse with another woman other than my wife, Rachel. Well, it would be wrong. Oh, if dreaming about having sex with celebrities is wrong, then I don't want to be right. Ooh. Mic drop and Dorothy. <sighs> okay, now let's move on to the conclusion of this episode. Uh, Dave, hit it. Say, Spud, yeah? uh, my wife texted me again and suggested I ask our listeners if they would be interested in contributing to the youth of this country by buying something from our son and daughter in their fundraising efforts. She mentioned maybe our listeners in Europe and specifically in Germany might oh, want to join in. to tee off of you. To express their solidarity why, with us, why, you know? Why, why would supportive. listeners in Europe care about your two kids and, and this scam? Who really needs cookie dough or scam. magazine subscriptions? I, again, don't want to be a dream killer but, here, but... You have no idea how important this is to my wife and I, so we would really appreciate it if you would help us out here. Last year, our youngest, Tyler, finished second in his class in sales. We're talking about falling $39 short of first place. Uh, you have no idea how disappointing that was to my wife and, oh, and my son. It was devastating. Well, finishing second is nothing to be ashamed of. It sounds to me like your well, wife yeah, is kind of a... I'd love to finish second in anything. Spud, I have told you before that Rachel comes from a family that only accepted winning. Participation trophies were not okay. Wow. And if you're listening now, honey, I am so happy your parents instilled such a thirst for total domination as it is defined who you are today. Gerald, you are nothing more than your wife's little We're not saying she's a wicked witch But how well did you know her before you got it? Well, 
You can tell her that I do not feel comfortable with you pressuring our listeners to buy any of your kids' crap, okay? Yeah, I mean, I would love to try and push some of the Pampered Chef products that I sell part-time. I mean, since my friends and family have already bought all the kitchen utensils that they could ever actually use. Seriously. Is that possible? Can I ask if anyone would be interested in a new carving knife from our new line of, um, or from our new line of spatulas? New spatulas? Yeah. I, I thought I'd buy every kind and every color you had. Did did Pampered Chef introduce a, a new model? So if so, put me down for at least yeah. a few. No, you have every spatula we now offer, Spud. Well, listen, if I can't solicit our listeners, then I can at least approach our other staff in the studio. Now, I know our two interns don't have a great deal of disposable income. No, 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 no. You're not going to still- harass our, our interns with, with your high-pressure sales tactics. I'm I don't not- care if you hit up Dave on the soundboard or Mike, our engineer, as they'll just tell you and your kids to go to hell. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. I asked Dave if he wanted to take a look at this year's catalog, and he set it on fire. Look, some people uh. just can't handle being hit up at work to buy stuff. I get it. Your place of employment should be somewhere you're protected from this. It's bad enough with the telephone marketers you have to screen at home, let alone the Jehovah Witness people on Saturday mornings you have to dodge. It's exhausting. Well, I I just want to make it clear that if anyone in this studio ever expects me to buy anything from their families, well, they're seriously mistaken. Uh, Gina here is the only one with kids, okay? And and he's like, what, eight months old, Gina? So by the time he gets yeah. into this school Ponzi scheme, and I'll be, I'm going to be retired and spending part of my days at a tanning salon lathered up in coconut-smelling <laughs> lotion. And if I ever come into any real money, uh, I'm going to be flying somewhere with actual sunlight. Yeah, you know, Gerald, I've had friends who bought that kind of fundraising cookie dough, and they got yeah. salmonella. I mean, what's to say that we're not going to get poisoned uh, here? If you do, I'll replace it with a new box, okay? Uh, yeah, all right. Well, yeah. I'm, if that's how my coworkers want to play, that's fine. Just remember, you're disappointing two yeah, young I, I children. Yeah, I'm going to close this show right now, or should I say infomercial. Tell your wife that winning isn't everything, all right? I mean, mediocrity is not just a bad thing. I could teach her all about it. You know, Let me know if she's interested. Okay. In re-listening to this episode, I cannot believe your wife wanted to hit up our listeners to buy your kids crappy stuff. You know, it, it's one thing to harass people you, you know, work with, but you cross the line begging the very people who have kept, you know, the show on the air by giving us their valuable time, you know, tuning in each show. And God, both of you should just feel horrible about what you did. Well, I still see nothing wrong about asking our listeners to help support our children's fundraising efforts at school. You know, help them build their entrepreneurial skills. Those skills are what makes America number one in the world. USA! 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 Okay, 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 okay. I don't think your kids are any more special than kids in Europe, Mexico, or Canada. It's not fair to try to sell just your own kids' merchandise on the show and not allow others to do so, too. Yeah, if we let every parent in North America plug their kids' fundraising efforts, well, you know, uh, yeah. (laughs) You know, it might have helped with the ratings, but how long would our listeners have stuck with us hearing random you know, parents begging others to write a check so their kids could look like, you know, they were a future well, Jeff Bezos or something, you know? Well, I know I wouldn't listen to that. Mrs. Jarvitz, just because you never had children, it is not becoming of you to be so mean to others who just have to perform their parental duties in helping their kids achieve greatness. 
Um, um, you suck! Can I ask if your parents lifted a finger to help you sell stuff at school when you were growing up? M me? Well, well, no. Both of my parents were too busy with their careers and trying to provide for all nine of us Holcomb children. I, I really could have used their assistance, though, in elementary school, as I hadn't yet developed my skills in retail sales. I, I became much better at it in high school, which later led to my current successful career at my other place of employment at Seattle, uh, South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. This talent I developed basically on my own has made me currently the third top salesman in the last quarter at the store. Well, maybe your kids would, would benefit later in life if you dished out a little bit of tough love now, you know, by letting them sink or swim as little salespeople. I mean, you know, let them succeed or fail on their own. It, it's yeah, it's just a suggestion, but it makes sense what, to me. What kind of parent would I be if I stood by and watched my children embarrass themselves by failing at whatever activity, especially sales? Dorothy, I know if you're my mom instead of my soon-to-be wife, I know you'd probably help me sell school stuff too, but not to be the top salesperson. You'd probably just make sure I wasn't the worst in my class as you wouldn't want me to get too big of a head, and I do appreciate that about you. Well, I would always do what I could to assure your success, Chance, as I, I love you. Okay, I don't need to hear you two get all sappy here like a freaking Hallmark card, so let me close this podcast episode now. I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. Bye-bye. I love you too, Dorothy. Can we stop at Denny's on the way home? I was thinking a Grand Slam would taste really good right about now. I know that, dude. Oh, sure, I guess. No drive-through tonight, huh? You usually preferred your, prefer your food served immediately, but breakfast is a good choice at any time of the day. Ooh, uh, which Denny's are you two going to stop at? Because I myself would love to find a large stack of pancakes. They would hit the spot right now. Uh, dude, how many times do I have to say this? Oh, I go over what? and over and over this to you. They do not want to meet up with you ever after the show. Respect their wishes. Yeah, no offense, Gerald, but you do need to respect boundaries, not try to insert yourself into our food-related activities. I'm trying to be civil here. And really sorry, Gerald. Is it too much for us to just want a little alone time? Uh, all right. All right. Go and eat alone, you two. Jeez. I guess I'll stop at 7-Eleven or something and, I don't know, pick up a hot dog or a, a pretzel. Now, that actually sounds good to me. I love the hot dogs that are sort of cooked, you know, for a few days at the Mini Mart uh, near my apartment. Yeah, they age well, okay? kind of like beer does. But, okay, I'm out of here. Later. The Spud Goodman Radio Show is written and directed by Spud Goodman, executive producer Lori Madsen, produced by David Brenneman of Rosedale Audio Productions, original music by Michael Spots and Tom Harmon, video director T.J. Pites. On-air talent, Rob McGee, Annie Coleman, and Tom Nolan. Production assistants, Trent Botello and Carrie Coleman. Spud's Greek chorus is The Folk Singers in Hell. 
Live music production and broadcast engineering by Mike Renville at the facilities of NWCZ Radio. Promotional services and support provided by Big Freak Media, Seattle's only rock and roll publicist. Opinions expressed on this show do not reflect those of the station, the sponsors, or any living person except Spud Goodman. Copyright 2016 Spud Goodman Productions. David Brenneman speaking. Inside the Spud Goodman Radio Show podcast, copyright 2023, Spud Goodman Productions.